love rock and roll. I used to be a drummer. That was kind of my first profession. One of my favorite bands are the Foo Fighters. Love the Foo Fighters. And uh, they're celebrating, I think, their 25th year, which is crazy. And they put out uh, uh, an album and a documentary a couple years ago called Sonic Highways. And it was one of my favorite things I've seen in a long time. If you're looking for a new, like, uh, like Netflix, like binge, you know, situation, there's eight uh, episodes of the Sonic Highways documentary. What they did, they went to the eight most influential music cities in America, and they began talking to the musicians and the artists of these cities to hear the soul of the musical part of the city, like the, the musical soul of each city. And as they heard the stories that made up the culture and the history of music in that city, city like Chicago, LA, Nashville, DC. They then wrote a song while they were in that city and recorded it in one of the most influential famous studios in that city. And it's an album and a documentary. It's called Sonic Highways. It's awesome, right? And I'm a musician. I love that fact because I love the fact that so many times music tells the stories of a culture and of a city. And stories are really, really interesting, and so are cities. And the reality is that God loves cities. I don't know if you guys know that. God loves cities. I was born in a small town. I hope I don't die in that same small town, all right? I was born in a small town, but I want to die in a city. I love living in cities. Our family loves cities. We've been taking our sons around the country when we can to, to let them experience the cities of America. So we've done Chicago a bunch. We've done Cincy. We've done... Um, we did uh, New York City a couple years ago. We did New, uh, L.A. Over, over Christmas break. And I want to take my boys and I want them to, to experience the good and the bad and the ugly and the creative and the amazing things about the cities of America. Because here's what you find in cities. In cities, you actually discover the world. You see, because cities, well, what's happening, it's interesting, there's a book that, that, I, that I stumbled upon this, upon this week, uh, by, it's called Why Cities Matter by Stephen Um and Justin Buzzard. And here's the stats they share in their book. It's fascinating. That in the next 30 years, by 2050, they say that 68.7% of the world will be living in cities. 68% of the globe living in a city. And in more developed cultures, they say the number could go as high as 86.2% of the globe would be living in cities. 86% of the world living in cities. See, God loves cities because cities are full of people. And people have great stories. Talking about be a good neighbor. Well, here's the thing. Places, right? Cities are places that are full of neighbors. I once heard Alex McManus say that, that what God may be doing strategically in the globe is he's actually taking cities and within cities, he is folding the four corners of the world together and dumping them into cities to actually expedite and make the mission of making disciples of all nations really simple for us, as simple as possibly even just going across the street. And so we live in a city. I don't know which one of our surrounding cities you live in, but let's be honest, we basically live in Indianapolis. And within Indianapolis, Indianapolis is a, is a city full of stories and full of neighbors. And what we're seeing is God is even folding the corners of the world together in Indianapolis. And the question that I want us to deal with this morning is, do we know the story of our city? And not just to like know it as far as like I know some historical things. There's not going to be a quiz at the end of the sermon of, of you know, his history of Indy. 
But I want us to understand the story of our city so that we can challenge it. In the places where faith and hope and love have not been the thing that drove the story forward, I want us to be able to challenge that story so that we can begin to create the future of our cities. You see, as Mercy Road, we're, 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 we're kind of a big vision, right? We're going after finding a way to plant churches all over our city. So we've got one on the northwest side. We've got one downtown. We've got this one. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to launch the northeast location over in Fortville. I was just told this week that evidently I'm preaching Easter Sunday over there. So uh, uh, that's happening. Um, I hope. Uh, but if we're going to be about this idea of shaping the culture of our city, we need to know story of our city. Spent some time this week discovering the story of our city. It was great. I'm going to share some of it with you, and uh, we're going to have a great time. Jesus, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the opportunity we have uh, to get together to study your word. I pray today that it would awaken us, that it would equip us, that it would empower us to be the people that God has created us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 29. It's not the scripture verse that you use when you graduated from college. Uh, it's, it's more than just that. It'll be included in that. But in Jeremiah 29, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is, has written a letter from God back to some people who are in exile in a city that is not their own. And it goes like this, Jeremiah 21, 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here is the text of the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, says to all those carried in, all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Listen to this here. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city in which I have carried you. Then he goes on, right, and says, Pray for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. But this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed from Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you when you seek me and find me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. You see, these people were in exile, but God had a plan. He knew what he was doing. And so in the midst of that plan, even though they're in a place that is not their own, even though they're foreigners in exiles, God says, here's the deal. I want you to pray for the peace and the prosperity of that city. Grow within it. Help change and shape the culture in the story of that city because I have a plan. How are we like that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We, as people who follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you're a part and now a citizen in a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So now our allegiance 
And our loyalty goes above whatever cities or, or, or municipalities or, 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 or countries we live in. And now we are citizens of the kingdom of God living in what we might say is exile or as foreigners as we're awaiting the return of Jesus and are reuniting with him in heaven. You see, this kind of cool thing is the Bible starts in a garden, but it ends in a city, right? And so this kind of reminds me, and we kind of, here's my bridge, I guess, back to Jeremiah 29, is when Peter was talking in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are the people of God in this city. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul and live such good lives among the pagans that they, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, Peter is echoing the same thing that the prophet Jeremiah was echoing, that listen, you may be a foreigner in exile in the city in which you live, but pray for the peace and the prosperity of it. Live such a life in that city that it actually glorifies and draws people to God. Part of that means that we don't live a defensive, removed life. I'm pretty passionate about this because growing up in the church as a pastor's kid, I saw a lot of prevailing church culture was basically like, pull out from the center of where culture is being created, hide, defend, basically try not to do too much bad stuff and, and just don't go to hell. And for me, that's not good news. That's boring in its religion and it kills. Try not to screw up, circle the wagons, stay away from the centers of where culture's created and just try to hold on. But I say this all the time is that when it says that the, for, that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and forceful men and women will take hold of it and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we have to realize again and again and again that gates are defensive structures. Right? The gates of hell will not prevail against the advancement of God's kingdom, meaning the advancement of God's kingdom of us, the chosen people, the royal priesthood, right? We're actually moving forward on the offense into the, the territories that the devil has in our city and, the, and his defense will not prevail against us. We will knock down those gates and steal and bring back and redeem the broken, the lost and the confused that are in bondage to the kingdom of, of, of the devil and then bring them back into the kingdom of light. So to do that, you got to know and you got to challenge and you got to actually create the story of your city. You know the story of our city? It's a great city, city of Indianapolis. Studied it a little bit this week. Even more than that, if, if, if you don't know the story of our city, maybe break it down smaller. Do you know the story of your specific city? Because right, we're part of the Indianapolis metro area. Maybe you're not living in Indy, but you might want to know how this city got here. What the art and culture, business, spiritual, racial, What's the story of our city? Not only that, let's break it down smaller. What's the story of, of your city? You in Carmel, Noblesville, Westfield, Zinesville, Fishers? 
Do you know the story of, of your little niche of your city? Let, let's make it, let, let's break it down a little bit more micro. Do you know the story of your neighborhood? Do you live in a historic neighborhood? Do you know this, the history of it? For those of us that live in, in like the growing areas of like Fishers where I'm at, it's like, here's the story of my neighborhood, cornfield and then houses, okay? Uh, it's not that sexy. But, um, but there's stories within it. Let, let's break it down even more micro. Not, not only do you know the story of Indy or your city, or do you know the story of the people living next door? Here's what I found. When I know someone's story, I'm drawn to respond to it with a level of empathy and compassion that actually looks a lot more like Jesus than when I don't know your story. We try not to know stories, though. I found this stat this week. It's funny. Uh, we mentioned it this morning on Radio Theology on 995WZPL, at Radio Theology, is where you can find it on Instagram. If you're a true Christian, you'll listen on your way to church every week and share with your friends. You'll probably comment on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, sorry, I got caught up there. <laughs> anyway, this morning on Radio Theology, we shared this stat that we found that, that it's, it's really funny, is that uh, we've got about a three-minute attention span to hear someone else's story. After about three minutes, we, we tap out and we start responding with this. Mm-hmm. 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 Which means not listening, don't care. And here's the couple of the top in the top ten of things that just we just tap out right away, right? This is funny. Stuff like this, football, fashion trends, the stock market. I can get that. Here's what troubled me. Here are some things that didn't quite make the top ten. See if you can find a trend in what in, in the things that make us tap out. Here we go. Here they are. Someone else's wedding. Someone else's vacation, someone else's pets, someone else's hopes and dreams. Did you, did you, did you hear a trend there? Let's say it together. Someone else's. If we ain't talking about me, you got about three minutes to keep me interested. And if we get into your hopes and dreams, I'm out of here, right? Hopes and dreams, like, yeah, I just got this hope and a dream that maybe someday God could, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I want us to know our story, uh, the story of our city. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's my challenge to us, just to be good neighbors. See if you can push back the three-minute mark by 30 to 60 seconds this week as you ask someone else about their story. Maybe set a little phone thing and at four minutes you can pat yourself on back and be like, I'm like Jesus, all right, or whatever it is, right? And they'll freak out, you'll be like, four minutes! And they'll be like, huh, all right. My pastor told me to do it. <laughs> You're an experiment. Um, it's amazing what understanding someone's story will do to move your heart towards compassion with them. And our city is just a huge melting pot of stories. You see, Paul got this when as he was trying to plant churches the way we're trying to plant churches, he came to a city called Athens. And he gets to Athens in, in chapter 17 of Acts, and he says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was deeply troubled when he realized the entire city was full of idols. So Paul is in the city of Athens, and he's beginning to study the city and understand its story. And he realizes this is a very religious place. They have a lot of idols. 
But he says he begins to be troubled when he realizes that. And then we'll go through where he begins speaking. He begins going around in the areas where people are worshiping God into the synagogue. And he's starting to debate people. And then it gets to the end of this passage here, right? And he goes actually to the area where they're all like, like uh, the Aeropagus, right, in, in Athens. And he, and he begins to talk about Jesus. And they say, hey, this is some weird stuff we've not heard before. We don't know this. Our story of our city, doesn't, we don't understand the Jesus thing. We'd like you to come back and teach us. Right away, what I love about this is that Paul studied the city enough to know what its culture was and then to know where the places of cultural creation were in that city. And instead of, it didn't say Paul figured out that the, 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 the people there in Athens, they love to debate these new ideas in that cultural center. So he went to the edge of town and built a shack and said, come hear about Jesus, right? He didn't do that. He went to a place where he could not just know the story, but he could challenge the story of that city. And so what happens is he steps up in, ch in chapter 17, verse 22, and he says this. So Paul stood in the middle of the leadership council and said, respected leaders of Athens, it's clear to me how extravagant you are in your worship of idols. Right. I've studied the story of your city. For I walked through your city and I was captivated by the many shrines and objects of your worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that read to the unknown God. Now, Paul has studied his city. He has now told the people, I study. He knows the story. Notice that he doesn't say, I see that you guys are very religious, lots of idols. I even saw one that says to the unknown God. Got to go, right? He didn't take what he learned about it. Here's the thing. And then I've just got to go. He wasn't studying the story of Athens in the culture of Athens so he could pass a history lesson. He was discovering it so he would have context to actually begin to challenge where it needed to be shaped by the story of Jesus. Same applies to us. He says, I have come to introduce you, introduce to you this God whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. And then he continues, the true God is in the creator, is the creator of all things. He is the owner of the, he is the owner and Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And he doesn't live in man-made temples. He supplies life and breath in all things to every living being. And he doesn't lack a thing that we, more, that we, me, me, that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things and everything he needs. Listen to this part. This is great. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity and spread us all over the earth. He sets the boundaries of the people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so that every person who he has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. Since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we ever think that the divine image could be compared to something made of, of gold or silver or stone sculpted by man's artwork or clever imagination? Now, in the past, God tolerated our ignorance of these things, but now the time of deception has passed away. He commands us all to repent and turn to God. 
For the appointed day has risen in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has designated. And the proof given to the world that God has chosen this man is this. He resurrected him from the dead. The moment they heard Paul bring up the topic of resurrection, some of them ridiculed him. They got up and left. But others said, we want to hear you again about these things. So Paul left the meeting. But there were some who believed the message and joined him from that day forward. Don't miss what Paul said. This is beautiful. Listen to this, what he says is. From one man, Adam, God made every man and woman in every race of humanity. He spread us out all over the earth. Listen to this. He set the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. Let me unpack that for a minute. What is true there is true today. It means that God created you on purpose and for a purpose right here right now it, it means that god has created you on purpose and for purpose right here and right now your existence right now in this city is not accidental your existence right now in this country on your street at your job at your school you are where you're supposed to be because God put you there if you're a follower of Jesus so you could make it easy for people to find the God that is easy to discover. That makes your street and your address so much more important, doesn't it? You thought you chose your neighbors. Mm, no, friend. God chose them. Because their story matters. As you'll step in and challenge it and invite them into the story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. You say, Darren, come on now. I'm just me, not a big deal. How am I gonna shape the culture, change the story of this city? Like what's one person gonna do? Well, if you study history, it seems like every great world-changing, like, like, like culture-shaping thing that happens, I, I, I'm finding a, a common theme is that there's always a person that starts it. Our city. Our city had some amazing things happening as it grew. I didn't know this this week until I, until I read it that... Um, that Indianapolis actually served as one of the predominant stops in the Underground Railroad. And at the time of the Great Migration in the early 20th century, Indianapolis had a higher black population, nearly 10% than any other city in the northern states. I didn't know that today that Indianapolis is the least segregated city in the northern United States. You ever been downtown to the Madam Walker Theater? I saw Bono speak there once. It was an amazing, amazing day. Madam Walker, Madam C.J. Walker, she moved to our great city in 1910. What difference can one person make? Madam Walker, she moved herself and her cosmetic manufacturing company to our city, and she became America's first self-made woman millionaire. At one point, she was the richest African-American of her day. And her long and remarkably successful career as both a businesswoman and a philanthropist is memorialized by the Madam Walker Theater, which continues to provide entertainment downtown Indy. 
Here's one woman that came to our city and began to dream and pray and work for the peace and prosperity of our city. She came here in 1910, it's 2020, and I'm telling you her story. One woman who challenged and changed the story of this city. What difference can one person make in the story of a city? You ever heard of um, D.C. Stevenson? You're about to. Here's one guy that made a difference, who, who shaped the story of our city. I didn't know this till this week either. You see, there was a darker period in the turn of the century here in Indianapolis when um, in, in 1920, just 10 years after Madam Walker came here, the Ku Klux Klan started an Indiana chapter and it quickly became the most powerful Klan organization in the United States. And in 1922, D.C. Stevenson was appointed the Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. 1920. The Klan really took off here in Indianapolis. They became the most powerful political and social organization in our city during the 1921 to 1928 period. And they, they continued to solidify their stronghold on our state, taking over the Indiana Republican Party and using it there and using its new political might to establish a Klan-backed slate of candidates which swept state elections in 1924. They allowed the Klan to seize control of the Indiana General Assembly and place corrupt Governor Edward Jackson in office. By then, this is disturbing, by then more than 40% of the native-born white males in Indianapolis claimed membership in the Klan. 1924, that's when your grandparents were living in our city. And in 1924, I mean, there's people that we could talk to right now and hear their story, like not 1824, 1724, 1924, meaning people that were a part of writing this story live in our city still and could help us understand this brokenness, that at some point, 40% of the white males in our city decided we should be Ku Klux Klan men. D.C. Stevenson, one guy, he made a difference. You see, there's parts of our story that we have to understand so we can begin to challenge them and begin to create a new story. Two people, two stories. Discovered another story this week. I was talking to a buddy about our Fortville location. I want to change the challenge the story of that part of our city and I was telling about some of this and he said have you ever heard of the story of Pat Kelly I said no I haven't he said well I grew up in Fortville and he said as a kid everybody would tell the story of Pat Kelly who's an African-American man who was lynched and hung in a tree right down uh, actually close to my house and he said you never heard this story I said no I haven't he said yeah as kids people would always talk about it and then it would be this kind of scary story about this tree and I said where's that where's it at and he pulled it up on the map. He says, it's right here. And what I noticed is it's literally the tree. It's literally across the street from what has now become the Hamilton Southeastern uh, Young Life Barn. And your kids are in HSC and they know about the big red barn that was built by the DeVoe family. On the same corner, we have people 
who are set on creating the future and the culture of their city. And they used the peace and the prosperity they had experienced to lynch and hang people and see hate and racism divide. But then across the street, there was a family that said, God has given us peace and prosperity. And we're going to challenge and create a new story. And so now across the street every single week and for years now, hundreds of junior high and high school students come together and are told about the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. What's the story of your street? Because see, people lived in your neighborhood long before you did. And they shaped the story of your city and your street. Now God has appointed you and he's placed you there. And, and you will live there for a while and then you will die. And the question is, will you change the story of your street, your city? Let me tell you what they don't put in history books. Darren Earlywine lived in the cul-de-sac at Tabert Court. He got up every day and went to work. He minded his own business. He tried to make his own money. He went on vacations. He shopped at Kroger. He rooted for the Colts. He went to church sometimes. He retired early. He had a collection of seashells. Then he died. That life doesn't make history books. And guess who's writing your life? You. You get one of them. The opportunity is to partner with the author and perfecter of every story. And say, Jesus, Father, what story are we going to shape today? It'd be pretty foolish to talk about praying for the peace and the prosperity of our city and not do it. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, Bryce, right? I need to know your story. I'm glad I figured out your name. It's, it's a progression. It's how it starts. You figure out somebody's name, then you get another story. We're going to pray for our city. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm old school. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in some things. And when I grew up in church, a lot of times we would, we would kneel to pray. Because there's something about connecting your body posture to your, uh, your heart posture. And my dad was a pastor, and he'd always say, if you're able to this morning, we're going to kneel and pray. Because our church was full of old people that were unable to. Um, if you're mature here today, that was not slam on you. It was just telling you my story about my old church. So Bryce is going to pray, play, and we're going to pray. So stand with me. And I'm going to kneel down and pray. And if you're able to, you can join me. Let's kneel and let's pray for the peace and prosperity of our city. Let's take a minute and pray for the peace of our city.
Now shift your attention to pray for the peace of your specific area of the city. Take a minute and pray for the peace of the relationships of the people on your street where you live. Pray for the prosperity of our businesses in this city. Pray for the prosperity of the business that you work for. to the author and perfecter of our stories. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.